This morning, I want to welcome up Pastor Joey Salas from Belltown Church in yeah. Seattle, Washington. And uh, Pastor Joey is a uh, church planter in the Seattle area. And can you tell us just for a moment, we're going to do a quick getting to know you segment. Then you're going to jump into this great text is this uh, that we gave you. What? Is this thing on? Yes. Can you guys hear me okay? We can awesome. hear you. Yes. Can you bring the house lights up? Bring the Good house lights you. up. Uh, Pastor Joey, where is Belltown for those of us that don't know Seattle very well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so, it sounds like Bellevue. Right. But it it's does. not Bellevue. Exactly. So Seattle is made up in districts. And so if any of you are familiar, if you've been in downtown Seattle, you've most likely walked through Belltown. Um, right where, if, how many of you have been to downtown Seattle? Raise your hands. Those of you that haven't are like, bless, God bless Seattle. Uh, so if you know down there where there's a water park that overlooks the water, it's right there in Pike Place, you walk a block north of that and you're in Belltown. So Boom. that's where we're at. Yeah. And Belltown spans east, uh, north to south, four blocks, and east to west, seven blocks. So not very big. And within that, there's 120,000 people in just that district. So there's a lot Whoa. People in Seattle. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> How many bells? Was that the question? How many bells Just are in one, Belltown? Actually, there's no bells. No bells. It's quite ironic. Oh. See, we have a Burlington co-factory. Yeah, See, you we, do. In Burlington. Right. We, we at least follow through. I was expecting a coat this morning. I didn't get one. You didn't get a coat. Yes. <laughs> uh, Joey, where... Uh, you are planting in, in Belltown, but you're not doing that alone. You are married to a wonderful woman, and you've got some kids. Can you tell us a little bit about your family? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been married uh, 14 years this coming summer. 14 and years. Yeah. Your and marriage we, is a teenager. Married, yeah, exactly, right? And uh, we have four kids. Pray for us. Uh, we have a 11, 9, 7, and, well, soon to be 11, 9, 7, and 4-year-old. The right. fourth was a surprise. And so we visited Dr. Snips. That's my big joke. So. All right. Yeah. We're really getting to know you. Got it done. All right. Yeah. Okay. We're really getting to know you. <laughs> so when you're in Seattle and you're hanging out, you, you, uh, you didn't, how long ago did you guys go into planting in Belltown? Yeah, so we moved in six months before the pandemic. Woo! <laughs> it was the best. <laughs> if you ever want to plant a church in the second unmost reach city in the nation. Do it before the pandemic. It's awesome. Um, so your yeah. family got saved, so that was good, right? Uh, or we lost our salvation, either yeah. way. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, I'm here still. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah, we moved in six months before the pandemic, and it's been awesome. Okay. It's been rough and beautiful and hard, and what are you doing, Lord, and all those yeah. things, all the above. Yeah, and you guys just had an Easter service. I mean, everybody did, but you guys had one uh, this last time you were telling me a little bit about time. that. Yeah. yeah. It was your it first was our Easter. first Easter gathering in person. Tell us a little bit. Uh, so it was really great. Um, there's a church that was, that caused global impact. Really good stuff. And then it imploded. I'm not going to name the church because I don't like the gossip, but many of you know about this church. Anyways, we had several couples that have never been into a church since that church imploded. It's been eight years. And they came into our church and they said, we want to be a part of what you're doing. Yeah. And well, we're, we didn't sign up to be this, but we're like a spiritual hospital for the people in Belltown mm. who've been used and abused by the church. And 
for some reason, uh, they are really attracted to my wife and I, and so that's our ministry. Easter was really, really great. My wife preached because we co-pastor, um, so we rotate every other Sunday, and she happened to preach on Sunday, and it was so beautiful to see God redeem her story while God redeem other people's story. It was really great. Yeah. Now, before you got to Seattle, give us a, a couple of bullet points where you were before that. Uh, a couple of bullet points. I was a missionary for three years, so I served globally, and then started youth pastoring, and that's when I met my where wife. Where were you a missionary? I was a missionary in Romania and South Korea and China, and then um, I was... I was waiting for a follow-up question, but you didn't ask one. Um, and then I was a youth pastor, and that's when I met my wife. And then we were leading, we're both a part of a four-square, the four-square denomination. Yep. So I led our youth district camp uh, within our district. So, yeah. yeah. And then God stirred something for Seattle. While we are in Hawaii, praise God. Yeah. If God can't speak to you in Hawaii, he can't speak to you anywhere. So <laughs> that's when the Lord started speaking to us about Seattle and Hawaii, and we had realized that. God's fingerprint has been leading both of my wife and I separately to Seattle for years and years before. Um, so it's been, it's been really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So what is something fun that you and your family like to do in Seattle? Because um, I imagine it's fun to just drive through traffic and, and hang out and pay <laughs> $20 for parking yeah, exactly. per hour. It takes, so what do you guys like to do for fun? It takes 20 minutes to get a mile somewhere in Seattle. So it's oh. so much fun. Uh, what Anybody we jealous of that? Anybody <laughs> jealous of that? No. We get that when there's a train. Oh, okay. Yeah, we have a train, too. It's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you guys like to do? What, do you, what, what is do we a like fun to do? day like to for the hike. Salas family? We like to go hiking. hiking. Uh, we like to go waterfalls and go and watch the waterfalls with our kids. And and where he, are those in Seattle? I lived in Seattle for a while. I don't remember any waterfalls. Uh, there's not... Outside of the city, we have to ah, go Ah, you leave the city. the city to go do yeah, that. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. If you good. go in the sewer system, that might work as a waterfall. <laughs> but I don't have access to that, so. All right. <laughs> what is your uh, what, what, um, favorite place to eat in Seattle? Where, oh where's the hidden gem that we need to go to when we spend the next three hours Anybody in traffic? Anybody like Thai food? Is there good Thai food out here? No? Okay. Yeah, no. It sounded terrible. You're like, yeah, uh, not good. We didn't get an uh, amen on that one. Jai Thai. J-A-I Thai. Jai Thai is, we go there once a week. It's my wife and I's favorite spot. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. Really good. You need a burger. It's the name of a place for burger place. You need a burger. It's really good burgers as well. You need a burger? You need a burger. Oh, I thought you were just telling us, like, we need to go eat a burger. <laughs> It's a prophetic word for Hub City. You need a burger. You need a burger, yeah. But that's where we go. Okay, yeah, now exactly. I'll end with this one because coffee's huge in Seattle. Now, do you go to St. Arbuck's or do you go somewhere else? St. Arbuck's. Or, or Rest in peace. No, do you go kidding. trendy and hip and find some cool spot? Where's Definitely the, hipster. Okay. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a place called Anchorhead there. Anchorhead. 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 Oh, I thought you said Anchorhead, like I'm mad about my coffee. That Anchor. would work in Seattle, but Anchor. Anchor. Anchorhead. Anchorhead. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, we were gonna. We will come back up and, and pray for you at the uh, end awesome. of our time together. But would you give a hand to Pastor Joey this morning? Good morning, Hub City. How are you?
It's, so, it's such an honor to be here. Uh, Sean is incredible. Pastor Sean, so is Pastor April. Love them. It's so awkward being here. I'm a bit insecure. I'm going to be honest with you. And the reason why I'm insecure is one standing next to him with that beard makes me look like a baby. So that doesn't help. Uh, not that you look old, but that beard is just glorious. Like, I feel like when that turns gray, you're going to look like the guy on the oat tin can, like oatmeal. You know, that guy with, you just need Colonel Sanders, the, the hat. You'll be good. Anyways, uh, that's one reason why I feel insecure. The other one is your voice is just so nice. Goodness gracious. Like, I feel like he could preach the gospel and just his voice alone will lead people to Jesus. So, uh, man, I, I love Hub City. Uh, again, this church is a part of a, a global network called the Foursquare Movement. And we, uh, my wife and I, as we were just talking about, are planting a, 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 a church in the global city of Seattle. And it's a four-square church, and I'll, let you, I'll tell you this. Many of you may not know this because from what I know of Sean, Pastor Sean and April is they're, they're, they're humble people. Um, they're really, they truly walk in humility. And within the district, I could, I've seen from afar how much of a great contribution that they're making and you're making here in this place called Burlington. Um, so thank you for being a light here and being an example for those of us here in the Foursquare District. Uh, I've been given the honor to talk about blood. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Uh, we're going to talk about communion. And really, if, if you could put up the title of my, my sermon, the title of my teaching, if you're any note takers in the house, any note takers, uh, if you are taking notes, you can go ahead and write down the title of my sermon. And the title is Reclaiming the significance of communion, reclaiming the significance of communion. Now, Pastor Sean told me I have three hours to preach this sermon. We're going to do this Baptist style, go get lunch, come back, and we'll, I'll still be here. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I, I, I'm, I do, I've, I've been laboring in, in, in efforts to bring this word to you. And here are two things that I heard the Lord told me as I was praying through this. Is one, the Lord wants me to, I feel like the Lord wants to bring encouragement to the church today. Have any of you been discouraged lately? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. Don't point to the person next to you either. You know, the word encouragement in the original text, which if you don't know this, the New Testament is written in Koine Greek. The Koine Greek word for encouragement, it gives the picture of a house that is tinkering and about to fall down. And encouragement is to come and bring stability to that house. I believe the Lord wants to bring encouragement today. And while these words that I'm going to speak for the next three hours may bring encouragement to you, I want, to, I want to challenge you in this. Don't put all the eggs in your basket in the encouragement of someone else because someone else, those that encouragement will fade away. Our encouragement should be in the Lord and alone, the Lord, amen, right? But not only does he want to bring us encouragement, I feel like the Lord also wants to remind us that he loves us. When was the last time that you heard from a pastor, and no shame, but when was the last time from the, from the, you've heard from a pastor that the Lord loves you? Hopefully it's often. But did you know that there's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation? 
like nothing. Like you come into church, doesn't check off the box of your salvation saying, yep, you're going to heaven. Like there's nothing you could do. You could be a good person, but still not have salvation. You could still do good works, but not, there's nothing that you could do to earn our salvation. And that's actually not dismal news. That's great news because Jesus did what we can't do in his own self. This is the beauty of the salvation. This is the beauty of the gospel. And I love John 3, 16. We all love that verse, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that everyone who would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life for God so loved. But what about verse 17? For God did not send his son to condemn the world but to save the world through him. I believe there needs to be a resurgence of love within our own hearts, not just so that we could preach it to others, but do you believe it yourself? Like, do you actually believe it? Sitting in the stillness of the evening, do you believe the love of God is for you, not against you? That Jesus has not come to condemn you? Because let me tell you what, someone who's not condemned, mm, if there's a feast, they'll eat. If they're invited to a party, they'll go in with boldness. The love of God changes everything. And I just believe not only does it want to encourage you, but friends, he wants you to know in your good days and on your worst days, which if you're human like me, I may be a pastor, but I'm human. And I have more bad days than good days. Anybody else? But even in your bad days, God's love doesn't change. Anybody thankful for that? Amen? What's interesting about following Jesus is we often complicate it. And I love how we're kind of going, you as a, as a community of faith are going through this summer series called it's, it's Complicated. And oftentimes, things are complicated, and they require our honest approach to the scriptures, Right? Like, we can't, we, we must honestly and with integrity approach the scriptures. And things are complicated. Can you explain how the earth was created? I mean, we, we, believe, we put our faith that God created it, but how did he do it? Requires faith. Requires faith. Requires integrity. So while things are complicated, I believe in the complication, we overcomplicate things. And what I want to do in the remaining time that we have is I want to uncomplicate communion. I want to uncomplicate communion. I believe we're in a moment that the church must reclaim the significance of communion. If you study church history, this is free. If you study church history, for the first 1,500 years after Jesus the resurrected Christ ascended into heaven for the first 1,500 years, actually almost 1,600 years. What was central in the church was not a pulpit, but it was a table with the bread and wine. And it wasn't until about 1,500, 1,600 years afterwards that a man removed the table of communion and put in the pulpit. Now, I'm all for the pulpit. I'm all for the preaching of God. But we must reclaim the significance of communion. Because here's what that communicates, is when there is a pulpit, that means the attention is on the, the pastor. 
The attention is on what the pastor knows and the ministry of the pastor, and then what the church does, and it, it, it becomes inward focused. But when we honestly approach the table of communion, the bread and the wine, it's all about Jesus. I'm all for the pulpit, but the centrality of the church is not the pulpit. The centrality of the church is the finished work of the cross. This is why we must reclaim the significance of communion. By the way, I'm part Italian and part Chamorro, which is from the island of Guam. So put those two together, and it's passion and fire. So I, I, if I'm screaming, I apologize. It's just who I am. It's just what you get this morning. Uh, come back next week, and Pastor Sean will preach or someone else. I want to talk about the context of the passage here. The context of 1 Corinthians 11. And this is the whole this is the whole pastoral heart of the apostle Paul in correcting the Corinthian church when it came to communion. It was that the church of Corinth was no different than the city of Corinth. That's the context of the passage. The church was no different from the city. Go to the next slide. Here's how they were no different is that the powerful was greater than the poor. If you went, if you went into the, uh, the city of Corinth, they were one of the largest, most influential cities of the ancient day. Why? Because one, they were along the water, which means boats would sail in and that's where business took place. I mean, you gotta think, there weren't airplanes. You know, they had the Shrek and that's it, right? Like they had the Shrek and the donkey, and that's it. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have cars. Everything, they walked around or they rode on donkeys, depending on your wealth status. You, that's how you, got, you can get around by boat. And the city of Corinth was one of great affluence because of its position locationally, geographically. And what fed the city was their own power. And they, that city valued the powerful over the poor. Not only was that true about the city of Corinth, we'll talk about the church of Corinth in a minute, but the city of Corinth, they were also passive and corrupt. They were passive and corrupt. The city of Corinth was the government was structured as a monarchy, so there was a king. And the king in that day was so corrupt that there were multiple temples throughout the city. And the king's partnership with those temples, which they worshipped goddesses or gods and false gods, essentially, the king's partnership with those churches was interesting. He set up brothels, prostitution centers within those temples. And he priced these brothels to be so expensive that only the powerful and the rich were able to afford the worship within those temples. Think about that. In order to worship your God, you had to go in and only the affluential, the, the, the rich, were able to actually partake in the worship. It was priced so high because the king wanted to, the king was so powerful and so corrupt that he wanted to take some off of the top of the temple. 
And not only that, but they profited from oppression. The king set up everything within the city of Corinth, not so that the oppressed would just remain oppressed, but that as the oppressed remained oppressed, they would profit off of them. The church of Corinth was no different than the city. The church of Corinth was no different than the city. In the church of Corinth, we read here in the beginning where it talked about uh, when you meet together, you in verse 20, when you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with, as, with others. And as a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. Did you guys skip over that? Did that jump out of the page like it did to me? Some other, some go, some, wait, others go hungry while some get drunk. Here's what was happening within the city of Corinth. If you could imagine that those doors were the, the entrance to the temple, where the city, the church of Corinth was, uh, was located, and they would all come. But the only ones that were welcome to the front were the powerful and the rich. And the powerful and the rich, they got fat off the bread and they got drunk off the wine. So much so that after they were done getting fat off of the bread and getting drunk off the wine, there was nothing left for the marginalized. There was nothing left for the poor. There was nothing left for the least of these. Like the city, the church of Corinth, they valued the powerful being greater than the poor. There was also passive and corrupt leadership, right? Like, can you think about the passive and corrupt leadership within that? To allow your church to be one that was marked by that? The church leaders perpetuated that and they cultivated that because they too profited like the king did. The church was no different than the city. And last, one of the great problems within the Corinthian church in light of communion was that they too profited from oppression. Some more affluent Corinthian Christians were abusing the Lord's Supper by marginalizing poor Christians, not allowing them to partake of the broken body of Jesus and the bloodshed of Jesus. Now, before we judge and point fingers at the Corinthian church, we must be honest and evaluate our own church and our own hearts. Where have we, as the people of Jesus in 2022, valued the powerful over the poor? And it may not even be finances. Maybe it's about where is your value have been placed in the people that can do more for you than those who can't do anything for you? Because biblically, this word poor is not just about finances. It's actually about spirit, about our state of our soul. So maybe there are people out there who in the state of their soul, in the state of their mind, they can't do anything for you. So you value those who could do stuff for you like UPS, what can Brown do for you, right? But for those who can't do a lick of anything for you, you have placed no value in them. We too must evaluate our hearts. Where has there been passive and corrupt, corrupt leadership? And where has there been a profit of those who are oppressed 
and marginalized and the least of these. Now, Hub City, there's, I know about, you know, Hub City is perfect. You guys don't have to worry about that. But for the other churches around here, I'm just kidding, just kidding. But to be honest, we can never just point the fingers at the city of Corinth because we too are like, can be like Corinth in 2022. And this is why we must reclaim the significance of communion. Amen? Here's where we get to the good news. I want to talk about the significance of communion. The significance of communion. Now, this is where I start to get a little bit more riled up and whatnot. If I, and some of you are like, you're not already? My God. <laughs> the significance of communion. Why is communion so significant? And why, what would be so significant about communion being so, being so central to this church here in our church community is one that Jesus remains central. Jesus remains central. The significance of communion is that when we place proper significance on communion and we allow everybody to come to the table, Jesus remains central. The Apostle Paul's pastoral discipline of the Corinthian church about communion was not a correction of practice or theology, but a correction of lordship. Practice of communion, it's how it's administrated. That's the practice of communion. Theology of communion is what is intellectually believed about it. Lordship of communion is who or what remains central to the community. The significance of communion is that Jesus must remain central. The significance of communion as Jesus taught it is that Jesus remains central. Jesus is alone the reason for communion. Jesus alone deserves our attention during communion. Jesus alone is the one who has come to reconcile us back to the Father. Jesus alone is Lord, is Savior, is King. I love what it says in verse 23. The Apostle Paul, he says, for some of you, well, excuse me, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. It's important to remember what the early church had in their hands to pass on. What was the baton that they were passing on to future generations? I'll tell you what, the early church didn't have a Bible that we have today. Mine's read it so much it's falling apart. Uh, they didn't have this to pass it on. Why? They were living the New Testament, right? They were living it out, and now 2,000 years later, we're reading about it. They didn't have the Bible to pass around. They didn't have Bible colleges to pass around. They didn't have Disneyland-like kids' church, hyped-up youth groups where the fog machine is going, and you know, you know, worship music is like dis like a dance night, you know, a dance club. They didn't have the rooted discipleship courses. Wow, I'm for all of those things. I'm not against those things. What did they pass on? What did the Apostle Paul pass on? passed on communion. The significance of communion is that 
when we partake in communion, Jesus remains central. In other words, when we take communion, we're proclaiming to the world, none of us are central to this thing we're doing. It's Jesus. That's what we're saying. That's what we're agreeing. The second thing that I want to point out, the second significance is that everyone is welcome to the table. Everyone is welcome to the table. Now, let me remind you what Jesus did before he was crucified, before he went on that cross, was he sat at a table. He sat at a table with his best friends who he'd been walking around with for three years, doing ministry, doing life with for three years. He sat around and they had the Last Supper. And it was at that place, at that last moment before, one of the last few moments before Jesus willingly laid his life down on that cross. What did he do? He took the bread. He broke it. And he said to his disciples, he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat and, and remember this. And then he took the cup of the wine. And I love this part. He took the, he took the cup. And he took the cup, and the cup was not just wine so they can get drunk. What did it represent? It represented a new era. Do you guys realize that? The cup is not just you receiving forgiveness. While that is important, what Jesus was reminding of is you are forgiven, but why are you forgiven? You're forgiven to be ushered into a new era, a new kingdom. And in that kingdom, you're forgiven. You're loved. You're believed in. You have a hope and a future. This is the place that God wants to invite us into. And it's through the cup, the cup of his new covenant. But who was at the table? It was, his it was his 12 best friends. One will soon betray him, denied Jesus to a young child. Another, he turned Jesus over for a bag of money bag of coins. What events took place at the table? Do you remember before they took communion, Jesus took, he took the, a, a bowl of water and he washed the disciples' feet. And then they enjoyed communion together. Listen, have you ever washed somebody's feet and then ate a meal with them? As a missionary, there was one time I went into the, uh, the city of Seoul. It's the capital of Korea. And it was the first time. I was a, a five-year-old believer at that time. I was 20 years old. Given my, I'm a four-year four believer. I gave my life to Jesus at 14, uh, 16. Sorry. Do the math, Joey. 16, 20. I was in South Korea. Okay, you're all with me now. Uh, I was in South Korea. And one of the most humbling experiences I ever had was this pastor who didn't have the largest church ever, but he had a very large church because he had multiple locations that were underground worshiping Jesus. And this pastor to every single one of us missionaries washed our feet. You want to know what we did after that? We had a meal. We legit had some great Korean food. You want to know how that made me feel? I felt so seen, 
so loved and so welcomed. Jesus washed feet and ate food with the people that betrayed him. He never gave up on anybody. He didn't say no to sinners. He didn't demand righteousness before following him. Jesus made a way for everybody to have access at his table. And this is the significance of communion. The significance of communion is that you might have done something so wrong for decades, but you can come to the table and eat and drink and partake of what Jesus has done for you. Everybody's welcome at the table. But so is that person that you work with that annoys you. So is your neighbor that's so loud and annoying. Everybody is welcome at the table. Listen, the problem with us being, feeling, the problem with the church fully being awakened to the love of God is they're not willing to give the love of God away. They say, I want to sit at the table, Jesus, but they, I don't want them at the table. I believe we're going to be in heaven and some of us are going to look across the table and we're going to be like, how did you get here? And then they're going to say, same to you. (laughs) This is no judgment or condemnation, but friends, the reality is that there's a dying world that Jesus says everybody has place at my table. This is the good news. They don't have to do a lick of effort to be seated at that table. Salvation was not the final plan for Jesus. Communion is. And I'm not talking about the bread and the wine while we've been talking about the bread and wine. I'm talking about communion. Jesus calls the church his bride. I've been married for 14 years. I'll do anything for my bride. I know the value of my marriage. I'll go, I'll count whatever cost. Jesus, add up all of our contribution, doesn't even measure up to what he's done for us. The goal, the end goal is not salvation, friends, it's communion. In other words, Jesus says, as I and the Father are one, he invites us to be one with him. And last and not least, Sorry if I'm going over time. Last but not least, by the way, you asked me way more questions than I thought. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. They were great questions. It was amazing. The last one is this, is that the tangible presence of God is welcomed. There's a book that I love. It's called The Meal That Heals. My wife, my wife bought it for me uh, for our first wedding anniversary, like, First wedding anniversary, that's what I wanted. I wanted books about Jesus because it's my passion. And I read the book about the meal that heals. And what was so significant to me is this next verse in Isaiah 53, 5. Listen to these words. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, on Jesus And by his wounds, we are healed. 
when we come honestly to the table of the bread and the wine, or in this case, a plastic cup of a cracker and some grape juice. When we come honestly, Isaiah 53.5 is true for all of us. Is there anybody that needs healing today? In the place of the tangible presence, there is Jesus found at communion, and we can have healing. Not only healing physically, but we can have healing spiritually. The new covenant is a spiritually healing dynamic that ushers us into a world full of flourishing and flourishing in Jesus. I'll end with a story, and then I'm going to give you three practical things. The story is this, is that my mom came to my wife and I, our Belltown Church's first vision night. This was about seven months before the pandemic. And my mom was there, and we called it a vision night. So anybody who was interested in helping us plant this church or in joining. And so we had this vision night. My mom was there, and we took communion. We took communion. And I was reminded of Isaiah 53.5 when my mom had shared during the time of worship that she had significant rheumatoid arthritis, so significant that she was woken up in the middle of the night every night for a few months. Not exaggerating. I can give you her number right now. You could call her. So much so that her rheumatoid arthritis, she would wake up and her hands would be deformed. She She started to walk with a slouch because so much pain was on her from this rheumatoid arthritis. And so I prayed with her right there as we took the bread and the wine. And was she, was she healed right then and there? No. But two weeks later, she went to the doctor, and she asked the doctor, will you take a blood test? Because I'm feeling better. She hadn't had those tremors of rheumatoid arthritis like she's had in those few nights. She actually never had one since that night to this day. But here's what's significant. 30 pages, my mom has this. 30 pages of documentation covering rheumatoid arthritis, high cholesterol, all these other things, and all of the things she dealt with had been healed. All of them had been healed. When we come to the table, we can be healed. We can be renewed. We can be strengthened. And listen, there may be this theology about healing, like can God really do that? If God can raise Jesus from the grave, God can do anything. Why limit God? Rather, when you limit God, you limit yourself living in the reality of God here on earth. So my mom experienced this radical transformation of communion. So how can we live this out? I got three final things to say. The first thing of how we can reclaim the significance of communion is one, we should evaluate our own heart. We should evaluate our own heart. I've heard in more conservative theology churches that you can't come take communion unless you've repented to everyone you've wronged. And I, I don't know. That may be right, and I may be wrong, but I think that's wrong. I think what Paul is teaching to the Corinthian churches in the evaluation of heart is simply this, is 
in our own heart, you've, in their own hearts in the Corinthian church, all they, concerned for, all they were concerned about were themselves rather than those who were marginalized and poor, therefore leaving no room for those to come to the table of Jesus. So why is the evaluation of our heart so important? Because when you evaluate your own heart, you make space for others. The second thing is that we should work toward a united church. Uniformity is not unity. God doesn't want robots. He wants sons and daughters. God doesn't want soldiers ready to say, yes, sir. He wants sons and daughters. Uniformity is actually an enemy to unity, which is the heart of God for his church. Communion, this thing, it calls us to unity. Now, I'm sorry if I get divisive here, but Republicans are welcome just as much as Democrats are. Colored people are welcome just as much as white people are. Women are welcome just as much as men are. Psalm 133, I'm not going to read it, but it talks about the beauty of his unity in the church. And it comes through unity. But what is the opposite of beauty? Whatever comes to your mind. When we are not a church that is united, we're that. Fill in the blank. We must work toward being a united church. It's hard work, isn't it? It's hard work staying united. I live in Seattle. You know how many pastors don't leave space for my wife and I because we're reaching the LGBTQ plus community? We're allowing them at a seat at our table? We're allowing the transgender community, we're allowing those who have been hurt by the church. Just because they're at our table, people have turned their eye to us, their shoulder to us. And I'm not saying we're more morally righteous to them, but what I'm saying is communion demands unity. And the last thing is this, is that we would wait with expectation. I love it. I would boogie to that ringtone every day. That's awesome. Here's what this word in verse 33, wait with expectation. Paul says, wait for the others to take communion. What was he saying? He was saying, he wasn't saying like, wait till everybody's there. What he was saying was as a community, wait with hope-filled expectation. As you take communion, is there expectation that Jesus is going to show up? Is there expectation that Jesus is still alive and he's still moving and he's still saving and he's still changing? Is there expectation? And, and communion, it calls us to raise the bar of expectation of what Jesus can do here in this place and around the globe. So I want to pray and we're actually going to take communion. Um, Tyler, would you mind coming up and playing on the guitar? Is that all right? First Corinthians 11. 
Paul the Apostle says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night he, when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink of it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So would you mind taking your communion cup and taking the bread? Would you mind lifting that up and joining me in prayer? Father, we thank you so much. Actually, would you lift it up? Do you know this is something the early ch church did? That they would actually lift it up, saying, God, in our hearts, we're lifting you up. It's not a liturgical thing. It's a, it's a worship-filled thing. So, Jesus, we lift you up. Would you just say that out? We lift you up. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say it with expectation. We lift you up, Jesus. We lift you up, Jesus. You are high and exalted above all. You are Lord and King. Your kingdom, it reigns forevermore. And we join with all of heaven and earth saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Jesus, thank you for climbing on that cross, doing for us what we couldn't do ourselves. And so this morning, with humility and gratitude, we take of the bread. Would you go ahead and eat of the bread? Would you go ahead and hold up the juice? Lord, this is the new covenant. It was an agreement. It was like all of us were brought in before the judge himself. And Jesus was your advocate. Jesus was your lawyer. And he stamped his blood, approving that you would be set free from your sin and set free into a world of relationship and flourishing in him and through him and by him. And so Jesus, this blood, it, it seals the work of your covenant but it also seals that we are your sons and daughters, bought, at a, bought at, a, at a price. So as we drink of this, this is our worship to you, saying just as much as you saying you are, you are mine, we're saying, God, we are yours. Would you go ahead and drink of the, drink of the juice? Would you join me in closing prayer? By the way, I'm so humbled to be here. 
Father, thank you for every single person in this place. Thank you for the significance of communion. And I pray that we as Jesus people would reclaim the significance of communion for us as individuals, but as well for us as a collective community here in Burlington and Seattle and around the globe. God, this Sunday we join with the billions of other Jesus people around the world and we remember that you are Lord and we are not and you are King and we are not. We say this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.